Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dark Crossroads. This is your host, Roxanne Fletcher, and today we're doing another Creepy Corner episode. If you want your story read on a future episode of Creepy Corner, just email it to us at darkcrossroadspodcast at gmail.com. But with that said, let's just jump right in. Our first story is called Close Encounters. There was a time when kidnappings were happening in my home country. I happened to encounter one of the kidnappers at the age of six years old who, true to the stereotype, offered me candy. Lucky for me, the only candy that has ever and will ever entice me are Twizzlers. And also lucky for me, he only had nerds and Starburst. So I ran off and told him no thanks. He ended up picking up another boy that night. He raped and killed him. If he'd had any Twizzlers, I'd have paused for at least more than 15 seconds for him to close the distance. Would I have gone with him for a box? I don't know, honestly. Do I question my parents letting me walk home at six years old? Kind of. It was five minutes from school and things were hard and different at the time. I think about it all the time and that poor kid who probably liked Starburst. Our next story is titled That One Time. It was my biological father's 30th birthday, and we decided to throw him a surprise party and invited a bunch of people from his work. My brother and I were in our room playing on the Sega Genesis because it was all adults, and we just wanted to stay out of their way. While we were playing together, a dude comes in and sits on our bed to watch us play. He said his name was Danny and asked us a bunch of weird questions, like, Do you take the bus to school? How old are you? What's your favorite food? He gave us a really bad vibe and just seemed off somehow, like he was too interested in what we were doing. My mom came in and sees him in there with us and tells us to go watch movies in her room, so my brother and I say goodbye and go to her room instead. A couple of months later, my parents were watching the news, and Danny, the man in the bedroom, is on the TV. He ended up being Daniel Conahan Jr., the hog trail killer. He killed over a dozen homosexual men in our area and had tortured them and left them tied to trees in the woods to die. Our next story is titled Zodiac Killer. Not my own story, but some family friends of ours had an experience with the Zodiac Killer. They were together in their car on a lover's lane or whatever the spot was called where couples went to hook up. The wife got a weird feeling in her gut and begged the husband to leave. He was kind of upset about this because he was in town for only one night from the military, so this was their one night together. Finally, she convinced him to leave. They told the only other couple at the spot that they were leaving because at the time the Zodiac Killer was known to be active, so people kept an eye out for each other. Years later, the Zodiac wrote into the newspaper detailing one of his killings on Lover's Lane. He described the exact car and said there were two couples left and he was going to take both out before one of the couples went up to the other and gave them a heads up before leaving. Right when they left, he killed the couple that stayed. Every detail of the night from the date to the cars to the time of the night matched up perfectly so they knew it was them who left just in time. This next story is titled That One Weird Dude. This was about six years ago or so, I can't really remember. I used to work at a truck stop in the town that I live in. One day, a random dude showed up, car was full of junk, clothing he was wearing was all stained, 
He looked like he shit himself, and he had a very weird vibe about him. He was there for like three days, I believe. Day one, he tried bumming smokes off of me. I told him I didn't have any, and that was about it. Day two, he changed clothes and left the dirty ones on the counter. I told him he has to remove them, as I was not going to touch them. He threw them away, and I took the trash out. Day three, before he left, he went to the other side and asked for bags to put on his shoes. Weird request, no one gave him any, and told him to go to Walmart across the highway and buy some. A day later, the Fargo FBI showed up and turned out his name was Henry Denninger, and wanted for questioning about his wife being stabbed to death. The stain that I thought was shit was probably his wife's blood. They did try to dig through the trash to find the clothing, of course. They caught him about an hour from my town and told me that they'll stay in touch as I might have to testify seeing him wear the clothes and being at my job. Apparently, two of his ex-wives had been in some sort of freak accident that caused their death. The other left before she got hurt, so we know he killed at least one of them. Probably the other two, but who knows. Last I heard, he tried the insanity plea. I'm not expecting much to come out of this. Like I said, it's been about six years, so I'll probably never hear anything. Wasn't really anything interesting, I'll admit it. It did make me feel uneasy when I found out. It's still probably my most interesting story about working there. This next story is titled, That Time I Had a Stalker and I Had No Idea. Years ago, I went with my mom to visit a friend of hers. I sat bored out of my mind while they sipped their teacups and waffled on all afternoon. The friend's rather weird adult son, quite a bit older than me, was also there in the house, but didn't really engage much. I barely spoke more than a few polite sentences to him. My parents didn't tell me till years later, but he had started stalking me. They would hear all sorts of sounds at night. I had no idea, I just carried on as usual. Biked to school, stayed after for gymnastics, biked to the pool for swimming, etc. I'm not sure how long this lasted. Fast forward a few years, a young girl in our town went missing after school. A week or so later, they found her body dumped. You guessed it, it wound up up being the son of my mom's friend. That's when they decided to tell me what happened. Apparently, my mom had finally caught him and a word was had with his parents. This next story is titled, My Mom's Stalker. When I was a child, my mom was stalked by an ex who eventually killed her, his own three-year-old daughter, and himself. I knew this guy for one and a half to two years prior to the murders, but I remember the first time something really struck me as off about him. I came home from school and found him in our house. He'd broken in, but I didn't know that at the time, and he was going through things in my mom's bedroom. He was acting kind of manic, like he was ruffling through things, but not actually doing anything particular and not looking or taking anything. He kept talking to me about how he thought of me as his daughter. News to me, we got along but weren't very close, and blah blah emotional stuff. It was weird, but he seemed volatile somehow, like he wasn't all there. So I just acted agreeable and started talking as normally as possible about the chores I needed to do before my mom got home from work and left him in the room alone. He left the house shortly after without any other word. 
I told my mom about it when she got home, and she was pretty disturbed. Turns out she had just broken up with him and taken back his key to our house earlier that day and hadn't told me yet. We realized that he had broken into the house through the garage and at a time when he knew I would be there alone. That was the beginning of nearly a year of stalking and several break-ins, eventually ending in him murdering her and his daughter before pulling the classic death by cop. Our next story just starts off, When I was a kid back in the 80s, a friend of mine and his friend up around the corner from me were offered money by a guy to go up the field with him. I can't remember the specifics as it's a long time ago and I was very young, but I think he offered them money to pick blackberries. My friend said no, but the other boy said yes and went with him. His body was found the next day. He had been stabbed to death. He was only eight years old at the time. I remember the months that followed, every parent was super weary about leaving any of us to play on the streets alone. The kid's name was Kyle Curran. If you want to Google it, you should. It happened in Waterford, Ireland. This next one is titled, That Time I Lived with a Murderer. My dad and my stepmom at the time allowed a guy to move in with him after he got out of prison for a nonviolent crime. At first, he seemed very grateful to them and would help them out by doing chores or helping my father in his shop. After being around a while, the guy seemed to like me and would flirt occasionally. He had this fake persona of a Christian trying to turn his life around, and after a while, I caught on to his BS. After months of my parents treating him as one of their own, he left them with debts and moved out while they were at work one day. After hearing of this and other inappropriate things that he said about me and our family in general, I'd had enough and took it upon myself to message him and tell him what exactly I thought, and I did not mince words. Two months later, he shot a man at Point Blake Range in the face and walked away as if nothing had happened. I still think about that from time to time and how lucky my family and I are. This next story is titled Creepy Halloween. Okay, so the story isn't exactly what you're looking for, but I feel like it's close enough to share. When I was in fourth grade, I ended up going trick-or-treating with my mom and my best friend. We ended up passing a guy who full-up made warning bells go off in my head. We had eye contact, and I can remember every detail about him. I asked my friend, and she apparently got the same feeling, and we just kind of shrugged it off and forgot about it. A few weeks later, we had SWAT cars surrounding our street. My dad went up to ask what was going on, and apparently somebody had escaped jail and was holding a family hostage at gunpoint in the house that he was hiding out in. The hunt to get him out of the house went on for hours. Luckily, everybody made it out safely. The next week, the newspaper came out, and I saw the guy's face, the same face I saw that Halloween night. Now, just recently, I was thinking about this night. My family had the digital article saved, so I went to it and looked up his name. There was a concerning amount of news articles for this individual. The last one was from 2017, saying he was about to go to court on first-degree murder charges. This next one starts, The person in question didn't murder anybody, but he definitely came close to it. The person is the man that I ended up spending 10 years of my childhood living with, my stepfather. He was abusive towards me since the very beginning, covering up his abuse by saying it was discipline. This included verbal abuse, slapping, and kicking. If he left a mark, he'd say I hurt myself, and he had nothing to do with it. 
After a few years, the abuse started getting worse. Once, he slammed my head against the table, which gave me a black eye, and another time he broke a wooden spoon on me. When I was 14 years old, Mom had been in an unending argument with him for two years and had finally made the decision to leave. She did it once before, but he lulled her back in, despite my objections. This time, however, she decided to tell him beforehand. He took away everything important to us and demanded she give him the car keys. My mom refused, so for the first and last time, he turned his hand on mom. Ten minutes later, he had left a minute before the police showed up. As soon as he started hitting, I grabbed the phone and I snuck it away to call the police. And by the end of it, he had slammed her head against the hardwood floor, broke two ribs, and collapsed one of her lungs. She very well could have died that day. And had it not been for all the trauma he had caused me, I could very well have followed my instinct to turn a knife against him. In the end, the police arrested him hours later when he returned from playing poker with his friends. He was charged $3,000 and put on 12 months good behavior bond. We found out after the trial that he had been charged with domestic violence before and had been charged $5,000 on that trial. I would give anything to meet him in a dark alleyway and see how well he can fight when his opponent can defend himself now. This next story just starts. It was 1989. My dad was driving down a road late at night. He lived in Florida at the time. As he was driving, he saw a woman on the side of the road trying to hitchhike. My dad, being kind-hearted, slowed down to give her a ride. As he slowed down, he had a chill go down his spine and had the worst feeling that he had ever felt. He ended up not picking up this woman. That woman was named Eileen Warnos. She killed a man on that road later in the day. My little brother exists today because my dad chose to not pick up that woman. This next story is titled, That Time I Unknowingly Befriended a Murderer. When I was a nursing student, I did a three-week placement on a mental health ward. There wasn't a lot for me to do. I was just expected to help with medications and sit and chat with the patients. One day, I was with a group in the craft room when a man arrived and sat next to me. I had never seen him before, and he was wearing a suit and was well put together. I thought initially that he might be a member of the staff. He was very polite, shook my hand, and we started chatting. I can't remember what we talked about, but it was clear that he was very intelligent and well-spoken. When I came back the next morning, he was gone, and I asked my buddy nurse what happened to him. It turns out that the man had a very long psychological and criminal history, and he had murdered two people in the past. He was only staying on the ward for one night before he was transferred elsewhere. I would have never guessed it. It really shows you that you cannot judge a book by its cover. This next one is titled Murderer in Plain Sight. A childhood friend of mine had this boyfriend that nobody liked. She ran off and ended up eloping with him. He cheated on her a bunch, and there was constant drama. My wife worked with her, and we were some of her few childhood friends still in the area, so we remained pretty close. She'd come and spend the night on our couch occasionally and stuff like that, and obviously was in an unhealthy and likely abusive marriage. He seemed to mellow out a little after they had children, At least there wasn't any more overt drama going on, and we think he legitimately stopped cheating on her. He also got really religious. Something about this creeped my my wife and me out, 
and made us hate being around him even more than before. It's like when somebody is pretending they're happy, but you know that it's not real. Like all the over-anger and drama transformed into something more subtle. On the surface, he's turned over a new leaf and is becoming a better person. But it just seems off in a way we can't quite articulate. We tried to be happy for them and supportive, but once they weren't around, it was like, holy shit, did you get the same creepy feeling from him that I did? Then one day, he murdered her. Their kids were at a friend's house at the time. There was evidence that he'd been planning this for over a year. He's in prison now for life. We learned not to ignore any red flags or intuitive, creeped-out feelings about people after this, especially about people married to someone that we really care about. Alrighty, so I'm not going to read the title of this one because it's just going to give it away. I worked at my dad's automotive shop in my mid-teens. I was, it was basically slave labor, to be honest, but it was work, and usually just answered the phones, rarely doing any actual work on any vehicles. I was basically janitor meets receptionist. One day, my dad and his friend slash employee go to pick up a car in another city, towing it back, and they say they will be gone for at least two hours. While they're gone, a car comes pulling up the drive. An older man with glasses gets out, says he needs work done on his car. I tell him that I'm just minding the place until the owner comes back, so he leaves. Fast forward to June of 2005, two to three years later, I see that same older guy on the news. This is a report. Dennis Rader has been arrested and is confirmed to be BTK, the same guy who came to the auto shop where I was there, alone. Needless to say, I retroactively shit myself. This next story starts. This story is not about me, but my ex's mother. My ex's mother met the Green River Killer while walking home with a friend. They were walking home from school and he stopped and asked them if they wanted a ride. My ex's mom said no, but her friend said yes. Her friend never came home, and she was one of the murders he admitted to during his trial. Alrighty, guys, so I don't know about you, but I very much enjoyed this week's Creepy Corner. It was action-packed and really interesting to read all these encounters, and kind of makes me scared to go outside, but that's a whole other story. Um, again, if you want your story read on Creepy Corner, just email it to us at darkcrossroadspodcast at gmail.com. And also, I just want to thank everybody for the continued support that you have shown us since the beginning. Um, it's amazing and it's very much appreciated. But to keep this podcast going, because it's a free podcast and I'm doing all of this out of pocket, any support is appreciated. Even just sharing the link to the podcast, letting your friends and family know about us, or just even subscribing and liking wherever you're listening to this. Also, don't forget to rate and review um, and let us know if you want anything specific covered or to just say hi. Alrighty, so I will talk to you guys next week, and I hope you have a wonderful day or night or whatever time you're listening to this. And don't forget to be weird, stay different, and don't trust anyone. Dark Crossroads Podcast is brought to you by Problem Wildlife. 
Problem Wildlife serves Western Massachusetts and has been humanely protecting your house and family from unwanted pests for over 20 years. Take back your space with an animal control service that you can trust. They are family-owned, fully licensed, and are knowledgeable and dependable. To find out more about their services, simply visit their website at www.problemwildliferemoval.com. Again, that's www.problemwildliferemoval.com. And the website will also be included in our show notes. Curiosity Box delivers the cerebral fascination of Vsauce right to your door through engaging science toys, surprising puzzles, and books that expand our understanding of the universe. The creators worked together to create, design, and handpick each illuminating item in the Curiosity Box, including constructive kits, brain games, and imaginative custom t-shirts. Every quarterly delivery will turn your home into a laboratory of wonder. If you have always been curious about the world around you, then subscribe to the Curiosity Box and have access to the most popular science education network on YouTube as it energizes a community of Earth's most inquisitive minds with videos spanning science, math, and the human experience. And now all of that passion is in a box pulled out the screen and put in your hands. You can also receive monthly courses spanning popular academic disciplines to inspire and nurture the next generation of curious thinkers, innovators, and inventors. They are delivering a deeper learning experience through AR, VR, and video lessons on the MEL app. Join the curious community on their journey to explore the world, celebrate the amazing, and support brains for the future of our pale blue dot and beyond.